constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio and welcome back to uh, to our educators, uh, the first uh, show of the year past Labor Day and uh, hope uh, all our educator friends are having a peaceful and productive uh, return to school. I'm Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher ed. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program at hashtag BigBeacon. Emma Schoenfelder will be uh, tweeting live, and uh, questions and comments are welcome during the show. And then uh, following the show, we're going to have a new feature where where I join my... um, my guest, and, and we're going to be tweeting live for a half hour after the show. So our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today, I I feel uh, richly blessed to be joined by friend and colleague and, and uh, body movement uh, uh, Guru par excellence, uh, Amelia Terrapin from uh, MobiusMethod.com. Welcome to the show, Amelia. Hi, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really happy to have you here. And, and uh, we met, I think it was about three years ago, and have had an ongoing um, conversation ever uh, ever uh, since. And uh, And we want to talk about your work with movement and dance. You are a dancer. You're an educator. You're an entrepreneur, CEO, and founder of um, Mobius um, at MobiusMethod.com. And we'll talk about those things in a moment. But let's uh, go back in the log cabin or time machine, whichever metaphor works for you. And and what what were some of the early influences that uh, helped put you on your current and and, uh, somewhat unusual path? Hmm. Yeah, so as a so yeah, going back in the time machine to being a young girl in elementary school, I was starting on the path of becoming a trained dancer. And so being in a dance studio with a bun in my hair and ballet shoes on my feet, that was where I spent a big chunk of my time growing up. And along with that, I was also had this very curious mind, very curious scientific mind, and wanted to understand how things worked. Um, my dad is an engineer, and so he always had some interesting projects going on, and I was always kind of peeking over his shoulder and curious and wondering what he was up to. And sort of those those two paths have been have been pretty strong throughout my whole life as a both as a dancer and then as a, mm, I guess you could say, scientist, engineer-oriented mind. Hmm. 
Yeah, so that's you know, so it's interesting the number of people who come on the show and talk about an engineer dad. I my dad is an engineer, and and um, maybe we ought to devote a show to engineer dads sometime. But um, because it is so uh, so prevalent, and and so, but I appreciate your sharing sharing that, and and uh, it it's not particular. It's not the dance and technical combination isn't as strange as you you as it first seems um, when you first start to think about it but on this show we're interested also in in uh, unleashing experiences the term that Mark Somerville and I used in the book a whole new engineer mm-hmm. and um, and this path that you've that you're on now being a dancer is one thing being an engineer is another thing sort of being uh, somebody that's straddling those lines um, is is a bit unusual. It's not the most typical thing. So, what what experiences um, or individuals in your life, or um, or self actualization? Are there any number of ways this occurs? But uh, so clearly, you've done some unusual things uh, and gone gone a different way. What gave you? you know, what what things or people gave you the courage to to do some of that? Hmm. Yeah. So first, I want to just echo what you're saying about that it's it's probably not as uncommon as we think it is. I think mm-hmm. what's uncommon is there being structures and um, relationships and institutions in place that actually support the journey of straddling these different worlds. And so it ends up being, you know, each of us that endeavor to do that end up sort of cobbling things together and having to find our own way, which is um, has very much been my experience, um, yes. some of the, the, the most influential people, the first one that comes to mind is my dance teacher. And I grew up in North Dakota in a small town and my dance teacher was, was acted as this gateway to a much larger world. She would take us on trips to Minneapolis and Los Angeles. And she really opened my eyes to, a much larger world and also to a much greater capacity within myself than I was aware of. So that was a really, how did, how did really, she help you? How did she help you do that? That the, uh, the capacity inside yourself, how'd she help you see that, that? She believed in me in a way that I couldn't yet do for myself. Yeah. She could see the, she could see my talent and she could see what I could become um, without the tangible evidence of it, you know, she could she could just see it within me yeah. and was um, really instrumental in helping me to see it for myself. Yes. Yeah, and I, I mean that's that's what we that, that's what Mark and I talk about in the book, and it seems like that there's it's not all it doesn't always come from someone else. Sometimes we can do it for ourselves, but sometimes when we can't do it for ourselves, it seems like people who get unleashed in interesting directions have have someone who aids them in that way as as you yes. have had. Yeah. Beautiful. Definitely. There was another pivotal this co sort of fast forwards us a little bit in my timeline, but there was another person who was really pivotal. Um, there was a time during which I felt like I had to leave the dance world behind. I was mm. in this sort of siloed, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd taken on some of the silo thinking and yes. was at this crossroads and 
quit dancing and felt like, oh, now I need to leave my dancer self behind and go on and become a quote-unquote serious professional and (laughs) become trained as a scientist. And I encountered a man named Gunter Pauly, who was a professor of mine during that period. And I'm so grateful that really early on, he kind of turned me right back around and made sure that I didn't leave the dancer part of myself behind and Mm. helped me to see ways that I could integrate the two without having to just completely, you know, leave the dancer behind to be able to embrace the scientist. So that was also really important. Um, Yeah, how did, how did, if you don't mind my asking, how did that take place or what was it, how did he help you see that and what, you know, what, what occurred that you were able to sort of keep dancing and then integrate the dancing into what you're doing now? Yes. So he, I was taking a course from him in systems design, mm-hmm. and he knew that before coming to the course, I had been a dancer and that I had taught science through movement to children. And so he just sort of knew that as part of my bio coming into the class and and before coming to the class, I'd left that behind to, you know, now become a scientist. And um, maybe halfway through the, the nine-month course, he said, well, could you do what you do with kids? Could you do it with this course? Could you do it with adults? And I sort of hemmed and hawed and felt really terrified of that idea, but said, yeah, I guess I could do the, I guess it's the same concepts. It's the same idea of just translating the scientific concepts into a movement experience. And so through his prodding and his support, uh, I designed a module that helped to teach the concepts. It was a concept called autopoiesis, which is in systems language and, so, and that it ended up being really successful. The, the participants in the course were able to grasp the information, the, the, the essence of the concept in a one-hour movement session. So what used to be a four-hour lecture was now, and, and you know, reading a very dense white paper and a four-hour lecture was now conveyed in a about a 50-minute movement experience. So that was a really big uh, crossroads in my journey, and his, his supporting me in that and his, his creating that opportunity for me was a really big influence in my nice. journey. Yeah, beautiful, great stories. So I think you and I met about, it was probably about three years ago, maybe a little before that. And uh, at the time, I, my aunt, so, and I was already a leadership coach. And so when I heard that you were doing movement uh, in the context of STEM education, it sort of blew my mind. And we had to talk to each other, and we did. And we've had this nice conversation for a while. But um, so, uh, you know, as you were teaching STEM using dance and movement. So, and that is the, the, the foundation of the work that you've done. And, um, in your company, Mobius. So, what is, um, you know, what is Mobius, and how did how did it get its start? Yeah. So, Mobius started. It was sometime it was a little while after that experience in the systems design course, mm-hmm. where I realized 
through that experience that I could integrate these two worlds and turn it into not only a business, but a really rewarding way for me to spend my time vocationally. Yes. And, and as, a, as a way to integrate all of these aspects of myself. So um, I took all of the work that I'd been doing with elementary schools. At that point, I had developed, oh, at least a couple dozen. There's, there's, there's probably 25 different um, K-12 science standard lessons written and tested at that point. Yes. And in like 2005 is when I really got serious about it and, and sort of gathered up these resources that I'd been creating and, and really got serious about turning it into a product and, and something that I could sell. And so what it is now is it's a K-12 science curriculum that's all taught through movement. And there's also another sort of arm or, or um, aspect of Mobius that works with organizations yeah. as bo- using movement both as a facilitation tool and also as a learning tool. So if, a, if an organization or a corporation is interested in understanding itself as a system and using system thinking as a tool, Mobius comes in to deliver those concepts to a group and really get them, get those concept in, concepts embodied in the group. Yeah, nice. And, and so then what, so what was the transition like prior to that? You were, you were a dance instructor or what were, what were you doing? Or you were a professional dancer? What, how did, how did you move from sort of the silos to, to this mm-hmm. back? What was going on about that time? Yes, I was still dancing. I'd been dancing professionally in modern dance companies and also working as a as an instructor and mm-hmm. administrator. I was doing things like development work and grant writing within the yep. arts world yep. um, and continued to do quite a lot of that work still squarely in the dance world as I slowly started to build the bridge between between these worlds. Um, it's, only, it's been in the last two years that I've completely stopped doing any of the dance teaching or dance administration and have been focusing solely on Mobius. Yeah, nice. So, um, okay, so you started in you know, 2005, you're putting together these materials you're working with, and, and I think the early work was largely elementary school work, if I'm not mistaken that's is right. that right that's right yeah and so um so you're you're doing this and and um um you're working with grade school students teachers administrators how did that how did that land on 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 that audience i, I can imagine there's some you know it's a pretty weird thing to show up and we're going to do we're going to do stem through uh, dance and and but how did how did people react to it yeah, so it initially, I got to sort of um, warm up in, in the sense that I initially started going into schools as a dance artist. Yes. So uh, being part of, the, of this touring dance company, as part of our tour, we would go into a community and go into uh, an elementary school and teach some classes. 
And as part of that, that's when I sort of naturally started making these connections that, oh, I could be teaching about fractions or states of matter or, you know, the, the motions of the solar system. And that just started naturally happening as I was teaching these classes. Yeah. And so really got to see once teachers and administrators see it in action, it really clicks. It, you know, I, I can imagine some of your listeners may still even be wondering, like, how do you, how does that work? Trying to imagine how do you teach science through movement? And so I found that it, that it is, that it was and still is, can be a hard sell until people see it in action and see kids moving and laughing and being excited and really engaged in their learning. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and your emotional language just now conveys some of it. But can you give us a concrete example of, say, an exercise, just a particular exercise that might be particularly motivating to convey the kind of thing that you're doing to see if we can yeah. cross that bridge on the radio? Yes. Okay. So, um, a simple one that comes to mind is when we're talking about states of matter, and we're trying to convey to children that. There's different densities of molecules within each of these states. Yeah. So if you imagine that in this, in a piece of wood that you're, you know, that you can hold in your hand, the molecules in that wood are really closely packed. They're they're densely packed together. So at this point, imagine 20 kids, you know, 20 third graders standing up and becoming those molecules. So they squish together, you know, they, they come in really close to each other and they are creating a visual model of the molecules in a solid. Nice. And then yeah. next we'd look at a, you know, we'd look at a bowl of water and talk about what are the properties of this state? Well, it's fluid and everything, you know, it's kind of like slipping around and it takes the shape of its container. So then we, I would put a circle of tape on the floor that's, you know, takes up maybe half the space and now the kids become the molecules within a liquid and there's a little bit more space and they can slip and slide around each other. And mm. then next with a gas, you know, you can imagine then you're filling up the whole space. There's lots of space in between each molecule and they're moving at a much faster rate. Does that, nice. does that give yeah. an example? That people I think so. Know? I think that gives yeah. a sense and, and, uh, and it, we don't have the kids uh, laughing and having fun and really getting the con really nailing the <laughs> concept, but I think, our, I think our listeners can get it. Why don't we, I think, why don't we take a break and then let's, I think in the next segment, we want to carry this over to, um, to professionals and higher ed because that's where a lot of your work's been, um, um, been going. That sounds great. Okay, so this is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our uh, special guest, uh, Amelia Terrapin from, from MobiusMethod.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, if you have questions for Amelia, uh, you can send them on Twitter to hashtag Big Beacon, and there's live tweeting going on. And uh, in the next segment, we're going we're gonna to talk about how this work carries over to uh, educating engineers, educating professionals of all stripes. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio with uh, I'm Dave Goldberg. And uh, uh, the second segment here is sponsored by 3Joy Associates at 3joy.com. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organization. Um, and um, we're rejoined uh, in the sec- second segment by uh, Amelia Terrapin from MobiusMethod.com. And we're talking about dance and movement and the teaching of systems and STEM subjects. And, um, and by the way, those who want to ask uh, Amelia a question uh, can tweet to hashtag big beacon we'll we'll see that and and after today's show we'll we'll spend half an hour with amelia talking about the cool stuff that we're talking about today so amelia before the break we were talking about the the k-5 kinds of kids and so lately your work's kind of uh, made a turn towards uh, not away from but uh into other other markets and and you're working with professionals you've uh, worked uh worked with engineers without borders canada you've done um uh, some cool work overseas in Denmark uh, that I'm aware of. Um, what? Um, how did? How did this? You know, it seemed seemed fairly natural. You just you told the story of being a dancer and the trans- smooth transition from being a dancer who would go and in, naturally go into schools and then turning that towards the STEM. So that was kind of the shift there. What? How did this transition take place? That I think it was natural, but what? What? What allowed you to kind of take the turn towards other kinds of professionals and higher up the educational food chain? Mm-hmm. Yes, there were there were two distinct things that sort of prodded me in that direction. The first one being the experience that I described in the first segment around when I was taking the systems design course and then was asked to design something to help teach the content. And it really stuck with me how successful that was and how, how well that worked for everybody, whether it was a diverse group of adults. There were some engineers, some chemists, some educators, um, and it just across the board 
yeah. really worked for people. And so that really stuck with me. And to be honest, I think it took me a while to gain the courage to um, work with that demographic because having, having grown up a trained dancer, I felt a certain amount of intimidation about stepping into mm-hmm. higher ed or the professional scene because of that, the, the siloed nature of our world professionally, it felt, it, it was scary to cross those boundaries. So more than anything, I think I knew the potential of it even when I started, when I really dove into working with kids and I yeah. uh, just wasn't quite per- ready personally to, to have that kind of courage. It took me a little time to... Yeah, and I remember some of our conversations around some of the time when it was when you were making some of that transition too. Yeah, and, and um, but that so that's so interesting, and and that so that original experience, which is um, what that's over a decade ago, right? Or no? Mm-hmm. When was yeah. when? Yeah. And so what was the edu- what was the, what kind of so it was a systems class. It was a nine month program. What kind of what degree degree was that or? What, what was the educational context that you had this interdisciplinary audience of kind of grown-ups that you were able to uh, uh, yeah. use as guinea pigs back then? What was that? It was a certificate program, so it wasn't offered through any kind of higher ed institution. Hmm. Um, and Gunter Pali is, is based in South Africa and in Europe. And so yeah. his he didn't come through any sort of institution in the U.S. He, he came and offered the training just directly to people. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't in any sort of institutional setting, yes. uh, which meant that it, it, it attracted this really diverse group of folks. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, including including a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because, you know, so, so much, you know, so higher ed, Traditional higher ed tends to be so self-referential, and there then there are these things outside the box. And mm-hmm. you're, I mean, almost every one of your stories today has been an interesting, interesting story in that way. And again, it's an interesting story. Here's this kind of non-accredited, non-traditional um, uh, certificate program that helped unleash you in this this uh, beautiful direction and um, gave you this safe place to try this stuff that then later formed yeah. uh, forming the basis of your business. That's right. Yeah, and I nice. could see the I could immediately see the 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 benefit that it could bring to higher ed. You know, I I and again and and you know this from our previous conversations, I had this yeah. you know this intimidation factor around not being trained as a, you know, in higher ed as a scientist. And I could also see the, the, the contribution it would make to higher ed. So I always felt this, you know, I was always compelled in that direction. And it just took me a while to, to get myself ready to engage in that, in that world. Yeah. So again, there's a so, so there's this so there's this holding back actually because you, you sort of you you had a working demonstration of it in the a long time ago. I did. I yeah. Did. And 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 so there's this holding back and kind of testing really beating the heck out of it in the the K five space. <laughs> right. And then and not, I'm, if I if I if I go too far in my being pithy in my description, nail me for it. But but then okay. So so. So again, there's this transitional point. What, what enabled? So, the, but this sounds like a, a transition that was an internal one, is what I'm hearing. 
It was an internal one. It was both. It was an, it was an internal. Um, th- there were, the other piece that, that kept coming up was as I was working with kids, most of the work that I would do would culminate with a performance, which means, you know, invite the parents, invite the community. Yeah. And without fail, there would be adults coming up to me after the performance saying, I learned so much from watching the performance. Hmm. And there was this sort of like wistful, you know, like sort of envious, like, oh, I wish I could do that sort of feeling. Or, you know, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. And, and, I, and I just realized like, wow, adults are yearning for this kind of playful learning environment as well. And so after witnessing that for a number of years and at the same time building my own courage, I was also then invited. Um, there's, a, there's a group that I've been working with for a number of years now called the Byron Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And this is an international effort. To, they, they gather together a group of leaders in sustainability, mostly garnered from the academic world. And they gather together 20, 20 leaders for a week-long intensive every year and take them on sort of a deep dive into their own personal leadership. Yes. And I was invited into that space in 2012. And that's when, you know, as I was sort of becoming ready to engage in higher ed and with adults, and then came along this opportunity to actually do that. So I've been doing that every year since 2012. And that was Mm. sort of the the push that I needed to, you know, having, having such great experiences within Byron Fellowship was sort of the tipping point of um, having more successful experience in that realm and really gaining momentum and, and, and igniting my own passion for working with that demographic. Yeah, so how's that work is, is there, you know, so you gave a concrete example of working with uh, the elementary school kids. How's the work uh, different working with um, leaders, adult, you know, adults or, or people in, uh, in higher mm-hmm. ed somewhere? What's, what, is there a difference? Is it the same exercises? What, uh, how's, um, how's the work a difference. different? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. There is a difference. In, in elementary, in the, in the younger, you know, in K-12, we're mostly still looking at science content. So it's very mm-hmm. much about learning the content and learning, you know, understanding the concepts. Uh. When I'm working with professionals, engineers, you know, higher ed settings, it's a combination of moving to understand concepts and reflection. And the reflection piece is what builds the relationships and really starts to shift the relational field within a group. And that's when I get really excited about that aspect of the work is that it helps groups not only sort of grok or understand concepts yeah. together, but through the reflection practice, it, it surfaces things that go unseen or unacknowledged, you know, either good or bad, and yeah. creates the space for people to engage with it and talk about it openly. Yeah, and and uh, some of the stuff on your website and 
and from some of our conversations, I know you've you've worked with and and young engineers, uh, engineers without borders, Canada. Who you know, we've had some folks from uh, EWB Canada on the show before. But what? Um, so people typically think of engineers as really rational, and the teaching of engineering education tends to stay on the head side of things uh, predominantly. What's the what? What kind of reaction do you get? You know, from really rational professionals like engineers when you work work on this go inside and do the reflective bit with them. Mm-hmm. I'm so delighted to report that now being a couple of years into this work in, in this field that they really have, working with engineers has really dismantled my own bias around mm-hmm. who engineers are. You know, we, they carry the stereotype of being you know, only rational, only mental, and really rigid. And my experience both in, I've also done some work with some nuclear power plant folks. And in all of these really, you know, and in these kind of situations where it's really important to be rigid and, you know, have lots of protocols and and rules and things, I'm delighted to say that engineers are can be just as playful and creative and, um, you know, open to engaging in this different way as, as anybody else. Yeah. So it really does. It breaks down. It breaks down those stereotypes and those those barriers to connection. Well, and those stereotypes cut both ways. The stereo. So you get the story. The well, stereotype is a is in part a story. And so mm-hmm. if you get that story as part of your education that you are this way and the some of the pol- the polarities involved aren't mapped out for you, then you can kind of get stuck in that too. And then, of course, when you're able to do work like the kind of stuff that you're talking about, it, it can break things open and, and allow better balance and better managing of those yeah. um, and polarities. Yeah, and if anything, they're relieved to have yes. that kind of opportunity presented nice. to step out yeah. of that box. Yeah, so in doing this work, not just with engineers, but with in, in higher ed and professionals uh, generally, what, what would you say is maybe the most surprising or some of the most surprising things that you didn't expect that you found out in doing that work? Hmm. I have been so pleasantly surprised at just how playful and creative adults are when given the opportunity yeah. and how deeply insightful people are and how much they crave the opportunity to share those insights with each other. And, you know, my, I, I referenced a couple of times my sort of fear and hesitancy to step into this into this world and I think I was coming from this fear of like, oh, they won't, they won't get it. It will be too um, uncomfortable for people to, you know, to ask people to be vulnerable and to reflect in these ways. And I found it to be the exact opposite, that they're just relieved and totally embrace the opportunity to share more of themselves, more of their authentic selves. Yeah, beautiful. So, as a as a coach, I 
um, part of what resonated about what you're doing in, in coaching, there's a branch of coaching called somatic coaching, which is coaching coaching the body. The, the disciplinary origins of a lot of that work tend to come from two places, tend to come from theater on the one hand and martial arts, uh, interestingly enough, not so much from, from dance. Is there, can we, is there, are, are they, is somatic coaching uh, going after some of the same stuff that you're going at? Is it different because it's dance oriented? What, what can you say mm-hmm. about, about somatic coaching versus the kind of work that you do? Um, um, y- yes. It, yeah. I would say that there are definitely similarities in that the work that I'm doing is very much about cultivating internal states within people. So, for example, if, if we're learning about systems thinking, um, one of the key principles is the idea of self-organization. So, we'll do an exercise where, you know, in groups of five or six people, you need to build some objects together with your bodies. So, it might be, okay, build a bridge or build a house or build a spaceship, you know, with your bodies. Mm-hmm. And so self-organizing becomes, instead of this mental concept of like, yeah, I understand self-organizing. It means every, everybody sort of leads and everybody sort of follows. And, you know, you can understand that intellectually, but actually having to do that with five other people, yeah. you really have to, there are certain qualities or attributes that you have to be able to access to be able to effectively self-organize. So it takes it from, you know, think like learning about systems thinking to learning how to be a systems thinker, and it gives it that embodied, uh, embodied yeah. knowledge. So it becomes like, what's the, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to be inside the the concept of self organization, and how do I need to be, and how do I need to be able to respond, and 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 I think that connects to somatic coaching in that it's. It's really about cultivating that internal state. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. It, actually, uh, as you were talking, I was it's, I, the the X thinking. You know, there's design thinking, systems thinking, uh, co- computational thinking. There's all kinds of thinkings today. It's mm-hmm. curious though that they're thinking because partially what we're we're talking about th- talking about feeling or embodying, which is not actually. That's a, it's a kind of thinking, but it's mm-hmm. it's and so we don't even really have the words to talk about body stuff very well, or for that matter, emotional stuff very well. We've got sort of an enlightenment bias that we're stuck with uh, this rational part of things, and we can't really talk about the other stuff that we want to talk about mm-hmm. here. Let's why don't we take a break and come back after the break, and then see where see where you're um, where you're heading with this. It's all pretty exciting. That sounds great. Okay, so um, this is Big Beacon Radio with our guest, Amelia Terrapin, and uh, join us uh, with your questions on, uh, on Twitter, hashtag Big Beacon, and um, join us uh, for the third and final segment, and we're going to talk about uh, where MobiusMethod.com uh, is, uh, is headed. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? 
Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-472. 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon itself. Join us this fall for a set of free seminars on 21st century leadership and change acceleration. Watch bigbeacon.org for details or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to get your um, webinar reservation today. Um, we're rejoined in this uh, third and final segment uh, by Amelia Terrapin of um, mobiusmethod.com. And we've been talking about uh, about using uh, movement and and uh, uh, body to gain insight about both STEM concepts and and uh, you know personal and internal and organizational states and then so in this last segment um, you know I, I think you and I both believe that this kind of learning is really important for the professional of the future this idea that um, organizations consist of rational robotrons that kind of interact with each other is just so out of date and so the emotional side and the embodied side are so important and so for the most part uh, overlooked certainly in the higher education side there's traditional higher eds uh, very little uh, it's all head very little or no heart hands or or body so um how do we um given that and, and given the, you know, so here you are, you're a trained dancer. In approaching the subject, you had fears where you, you delayed 10 years of even going into the space. How do we, how do we overcome that and, and uh, um, move, move, these, move this learning into higher education uh, effectively? Hmm. Yeah, that's the, it's such a good question. It's, it's a big one and one that I don't know that, yeah. I have a clear answer to. I know that I feel really committed to endeavoring to answer it and to connect with others who are in the same inquiry. Um, I, you know, there, there's. It's curious that you mentioned 21st century learning in the in the opening of the segment because so much of the Mobius method is about not just delivering concepts, but also cultivating those personal and interpersonal skills. 
Yes. The commute, the four, I'm sure the, if anybody out there is in engineering education, I imagine that the four C's are, is that a pretty well known, uh, the 21st century skills, is that pretty well known in that, in this world, the communication, creativity, critical thinking? So, yeah, so they're different, different, different writers have different takes on this. So Tony Wagner's take is a little different, but we, you know, so we, but they're different anyway. So some of that's fairly well known in, in, in these circles, but not necessarily, not necessarily uh, embraced or universally embraced. I think, I think there, there's a tendency in K-12 sorts of circles to latch on to this book or that book as the, the central thing and, and people focus on it. I think there's less of that kind of, um, Mm, adherence right. to anyone, anyone uh, author or thing. Yeah. So it's sort of, in fact, everyone, all, one of the things that distinguishes higher ed, say from a K-12 space is that they all, they all think and want to be different from one another. Mm-hmm, so it's right. like, so it's really important for Purdue to be different from Illinois, to be different from uh, Rose Holman, you know, they all, and, and if they teach statics a little bit differently, those differences are highlighted, even though it's essentially right. a, fairly traditional curriculum and going back, you know, 50 years. So it's, there, there's a tendency to not glom on to um, some particular form, somebody's particular formulation. Right. So what is, what does sound consistent to me is that there is this sort of urgent call for you know, people coming out of university, you know, getting degrees and being technically trained in something and then getting into the workforce and not having the either critical thinking skills or the collaboration skills to actually do the work that needs to be done. And so that's something that I feel really passionate about is introducing these alternative ways of learning into higher ed that include you know, that engage the heart and engage the body and require, require the cultivation of some of these skills as they're becoming technically trained. You know, of course, it's still important for an engineer to be highly technically trained. And if we can include these other pieces, I think it just opens up a totally different paradigm of what's possible, of what's possible for the field of engineering to accomplish. Yeah, and actually, you called out the four C's, and actually, if you um, so some of some of the skills orientation still is pretty bloodless, right? Mm-hmm. It's still about it's still about head. So, for but for example, and and there are counterexamples to that, and um, and uh, it's my show, so I can self promote a whole new engineer. But in a whole new engineer, we had six minds, and one of them was body mind, very clearly saying that that being an engineer is an embodied act. And it's about leadership presence, and it's about being present to others, and that those are those are skills in body. And also, there's a kind of thinking that is not intellectual, that is um, kind of decision-making that people make under pressure that comes from feelings and intuition. So we called out very clearly that those are important kinds of things to develop, and they're not the kind of thing that usually comes in the traditional lists. But it's, I think, very much in line with the things that you're doing. Yes. Yes, that's right. Because unless those things are, those capacities are actually tested and trained, you know, if you imagine, 
this group, the, the example I gave earlier of five or six people, okay, you have, you know, 60 seconds to build a bridge, to build your bodies into a bridge. There's lots of decisions being made in 60 seconds. And there's lots of, you know, critical thinking and collaboration that needs to happen in those 60 seconds. Yeah. And I'm such a, a big proponent of, you know, really getting our hands dirty in that way, like doing something, building something. And, you know, movement is easy because it doesn't require materials. It's not actually building something. And you can, you know, iterate really quickly, but still go through that process because it's really about moving through that process that, that is the learning, you know, that is the learning journey. And so the more we can put students through those kinds of processes, the, the better equipped they'll be to deal with, with the world. Yeah, I like that. I hadn't thought about the uh, uh, bodies as quick prototyping. Mm-hmm. But that's that's really an interesting perspective on it because I so you know in design thinking and the idea you know a lot of engineering has building things and 3D printers and so forth but it does require a fair amount of extra stuff but we all have these bodies and and um, we can simulate systems or we can construct systems with them in in what you're doing in a way that's quite rapid and then does engage collaboration critical reflection all kinds of and uh, it engages emotional uh, concerns and and uh, interpersonal skills and all kinds of good stuff um, in the in, right. in in the moment so it is a it, it's actually a nice way into a lot of into a lot of those things that can be very effective mm-hmm. yeah and so and then thinking about that and in, in your work so in complex systems sometimes we think about lever points we're looking we're looking to move a system so we're looking to move this very bulky system higher ed and and, and K, you know K20 we're looking to move K20 ed into this place that's more aligned with this century not the last one and so so what in your experience when you do this work what is there a kind of person or a kind of leader or where where do we spend our time on this to get this stuff in uh, what 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 are the lever kind of the I guess I'm talking about the human lever points, but maybe there are other kinds of lever points. What are the lever points? How do we get this stuff in to higher ed? Yes, so there's certainly the lever points of the the early adopter personalities that are in the network yeah. that are you know willing to take a, a leap of faith and and try something new. Yeah. I think that coupled, I, I'm experimenting actually with a, a lever point right now. And I'm working with um, the school district in Tampa, Florida, and we're doing a project that, and, and the lever point here is I'm using performance as the lever point. And so what the project is, is I'm working with their performing arts high school, and we're building a, a production, a performance about STEM. So it's about the different subject mm. fields and what sorts of... Um, creative careers exist within STEM, and then also going into some, some specific content within STEM, you know, teaching about, you know, something specific. And then we're touring it out into elementary schools and also performing at their annual STEM fair. And so my hypothesis is that through, through performance, it creates this really exciting uh, event that highlights the power of 
this way of learning and collaborating and that I'm hoping that it creates some real momentum and creates some traction within that school district and it will be an opportunity for administrators and teachers and you know, everybody involved to see the power in it and to, and to really get behind it as a, as a whole instead of just these, you know, one or two early adopters. Yeah, so I'm, and I, I, I love that. And I, and it, I love that it um, goes back to your performing roots as a way. So there's, a, so there's an outreach, there's a vision that's being propagated. I'm, I'm also, it, what's running through my mind is the need for some systems thinking to think about, well, what are the other components of that system that will then in, embed it as, as practical practices that actually make change in the different schools that you visit? How do you how do you cash in on the performance and the excitement through through systems thinking? Right. Yeah. So so how that's looking so far? We're pretty early in the process, but I'm reaching out to make connections at the universities there to be able to do some research on you know to validate the effects of both the performance and also of the Mobius curriculum in the schools because part of the project is the high school kids will then go into the elementary school classrooms and teach a Mobius lesson themselves to the elementary school kids. So there's connecting with the university and there's also um, we're starting to look at if there are any corporate or industry sponsors in that ecosystem that would want to join in in this process and, and be a part of the creation of the of the performance and, and partner with us. Yeah. So our, some of our experiences is, is, and it sounds like you're 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 doing some of that. There. So there's there's like two two pieces to it. There's this community piece of forming a community around this new kind of culture. And so that you have the kids doing that, you have these ambassadors. There's also a status piece around it. So some of this is how do you, how do you frame these things as high status sorts of things that then people want to do? And it's not like necessarily giving rewards, but giving titles and, and uh, recognition and so forth to people that do this and calling them out seems to be pretty important. But then having that community form seems like an important important piece to it, but it just sounds like fascinating work. We, we just have a couple minutes, you know, I've had one minute left, and so I want to give you, um, uh, your work's great. I, I love your stuff, Amelia. I wish you all the success in the world. How can people find out more about your work and your speaking and, and uh, workshops and so forth? They can find me at MobiusMethod.com and contact me directly at Amelia at MobiusMethod.com. I'd love to hear ideas or connections if anyone especially is interested in any sort of research validation project together on validating this approach as a, as a pedagogical approach to teaching. Beautiful. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, Amelia. It's great stuff, and, and um, you'll be with us in the next half hour. Uh, for those that want to join us online on uh, Twitter uh, at uh, the hashtag BigBeacon. Great. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. A special thanks to our guest, Amelia Terrapin. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us after the show for the uh, post-show Twitter chat at hashtag bigbeacon. Use chat 
tchat.io or just your regular uh, Twitter account to talk to our guests and, and me and join us next week, same time, same channel in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.